The Dialogue with Clement Mania-Taylor. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 702. So on our Thursday Dialogue this morning, I want us to have a conversation about the impact of abstaining from voting, right? Who does it benefit? Um, is it the best way to show your discontent or does it defeat the purpose? And, and what does it mean for our democracy? You know, because history does show that democracy is in danger of losing their freedom. Often what you observe is that they register like these shocking numbers, like low voter turnout. Uh, but in thriving democracies, people vote in large numbers and, and the people's vote remains supreme. And I know there are a number of you that have indicated, even on the show when we've had conversations about voting, that you don't plan on participating. And and if you are one of those people, I would like you to join the conversation and tell us why you've decided you don't want to vote this year. Huh? Why don't you give us a call on 011-883-0702. Why have you decided you don't want to participate in this electoral system this year your whatsapps on 072-702-1702 i've invited two guests who are going to help us understand this much better and hopefully they can also take uh, your questions if you have any around the electoral system and and whether or not in fact abstaining from voting works right in the bigger uh, scheme of things uh terry Zelani is the former iec vice chairperson and chairperson of the institute now of Election Management Services in Africa. Thank you so much for making time for us, uh, Mr. Tzalani. Uh, good morning and thank you very much for having me. And we also have Tessa Dooms, who is the director at the Rivonia Circle. Tessa, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time. Thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. So, um, the, the politicians always come up with, you know, lots of rhetoric about what the impact of not voting is. There, there's a school of thought that says, well, that's people exercising their democratic right. And this idea that when they've decided they're not voting, then they don't understand, like, this democratic project is crazy. And then you also have politicians who often come and say, if you're not voting, that means it supports smaller parties or it benefits the ANC. What's the truth there, Tessa? <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of truth in the first thing that you said, that it is people's right not to vote, mm -hmm. right? Um, so in as much as we have a right and a responsibility to vote, we also have the right not to vote. Mm. Um, the trick to that is considering what the impact is that you're trying to create by not voting, right? Or if there is an impact. But for a lot of people, um, they're, they're making a decision not to vote based on something they've thought about. Mm. So when people talk about voter apathy, I always push back against that. Because voter apathy assumes you don't care what the outcome is. Mm. I think a lot of people are not voting because they care about the outcome. Because they don't want to be complicit in a bad outcome. Because they feel like the choices that are available to them are not choices they think are going to um, further the things that they would want. Mm -hmm. And so voters are making active choices to say there's something wrong either with the parties or with the system or something that makes me feel like participating and giving my vote is as, as they would say in biblical terms, throwing my pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. I value my vote enough to say that it is not worthy of the contenders, which I think is the, the more legitimate thing to say, is that something about either our electoral system and the way it works or doesn't work, mm -hmm. or the quality of our parties and the kind of work that they do to actually reach voters 
is dysfunctional. Mm. I think we don't put half as much pressure on parties to go out there and get the vote as we do for voters to give their vote. And I think that's the way we need to change the conversation. Oh, so fascinating. Even with registration, it's almost like they, they, they expect the IEC to take this responsibility to get people to register, to get people to come out and vote. But it's so much their responsibility too. Absolutely. For politicians, this is their premium time, right? This is the time where they're going to garner mm. um, the kind of power that they seek. But in order to do that, they need votes. So you would think they would put a lot more effort into getting those votes, mm. into registering people. But the psyche of a lot of political parties and politicians is I'm only going to register people who I am guaranteed to get their vote. Mm. So they will look at their numbers. They will look at the people who are already on their supporter uh. bases on their list. And they'll go out to get what, what we call in political terms their base. The ah, people who are guaranteed yeah. to vote for them. Which means they care about themselves yes. and not about the democracy and the democratic outcome. Yeah. On the other hand, they will say, well, you know, civil society and the IEC should get everybody else. And I want to challenge that and say to political parties that if you really care about democracy, you will get everybody registered and you will encourage as many people to vote as possible, mm. not as few as possible, so you only get your supporters out. Yeah, don't just focus on your base. Mr. Tselani, this is not a new thing, you know, seeing voter turnout or people saying, well, we're not going to vote for whatever reason and we'll get into the other reasons later. I mean, since us transitioning into a democracy in 1994... We've had how many elections now? Is it five or six probably national elections, right? And over those years, there's been the steady decline in voter turnout and levels of partisanship, which indicates probably that shift in voter behavior. So when there's a low voter turnout, who really benefits here? Is it, is it a party that is already in government that has been having a majority over the years? Or, or is it difficult to say? Well, it is difficult to say, except that... Uh uh, the only thing that really suffers is the legitimacy of the democratic process. In other words, uh, those individuals who would have come in as uh, public representatives uh, would not really enjoy the support of the majority of people because they would have been uh, elected by a minority of people who really qualify uh, to participate in the electoral processes. Uh, but this notion that uh, if you don't vote, then you're benefiting uh, the ruling party uh, I think there is no substance in that particular uh, uh, statement on that notion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and then if we look at some of the reasons why some people decide not to participate in the process, do you find that sometimes it's the administrative barriers or, or is the bigger explanation here that they just can't see themselves voting for the party because they just don't have hope perhaps in the political parties on offer? I think there are multiplicity of factors. And then Tess has already said some of those, or has already mentioned some of those factors. Mm. Uh, but I would say one of those factors is uh, basically the conduct and behavior of public representatives. If you come into power and then you promise people that we're going to deliver certain services, and then once you are in that office, you completely forget about the promises that you've made to the electorate and only focus on your own individual interest. Uh, that begins to discredit the whole democratic project. Because people elect a public representative with the understanding that those uh, representatives will be able to deliver services uh, to them. Now, if uh, in my area I've been voting for one from one election to the other, mm. but there has not been any changes, uh, then I begin to look for other platforms that I can use in order to be able to 
get what I want. And mm -hmm. then that's why you'll find in South Africa uh, quite a number of areas where you'll find what they call uh, service uh, delivery protests. Uh, so it is not because people do not really want to participate in the democratic process. They do want to participate in the democratic process, but they expect a democratic process also to deliver yeah. uh, dividends. Yes. Now, if they keep on voting and voting and they see corruption, they see all sorts of things happening, uh, but they uh, and their services or their areas not being looked after, mm. uh, that begins to affect uh, their interest in participating in democratic processes. I would imagine then, Tessa, that that then creates that bridge or you know, the, the space of vacuum between the citizens and the politicians. So when we see the voter turnout, does that suggest then that there is a growing disconnect between the citizens and the politicians? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that disconnect is not only about voting. If you think about how many people actually are members of political parties, that's actually a really, really low figure. Um, especially given the plethora of political parties that we have. Mm -hmm. The two largest parties in the country, um, if you go by their own um, figures, is the ANC and the EFF with around about a million uh, members each. I mean, the MK claims they got a million after three days of rigging. I, I forgot about the MK. My apologies to all MKs out there. Please give credit to the MK. I uh, forgot about them. But um, if you think about the fact that the ANC in 2019 needed 10 yeah. million votes mm. and it only has a million members, mm. that's a big um, part of the, ele the electorate that they are relying on who are not their members. Our, our actual involvement in political parties on a day-to-day -day basis in the country is extremely low. And number one, that's because people just don't have time. We're fighting for our lives in most cases. We don't have the time to really engage, but also political parties don't do much work in between the five years to keep us engaged with them. Mm. They come to us when they need us most, which is when they need the vote. And so you do have that disconnect in general senses. Um, I've always said that the ANC claims to be the leader of society, and that claim um, has often been justified by the idea that they're in communities, and they're there, and they're present, and they have a branch in every ward. Mm. That needs to translate into people feel connected to the political party on a day-to-day -day basis, not only when the party needs them. Mm. More importantly, for parties that are in governance, that's even more important. Because a, a political party cannot exist simply to win a vote. It has to exist to govern with that vote and govern with people. It, you know, we are the people mm. shall govern. Mm. They have to bring to life that expression in between the five years. So people definitely feel disconnected from politics. They, we, I, I often say to people, we treat politics in this country like we're watching a reality show. Really, most of us are consuming it as if it's these people who are there on television or far away. That's why the phenomena, even mm. when we're mad at politicians, mm. when we see them in person, we think of them as celebrities. There's this groupy hmm. feeling and all of that, not because they've delivered, but because we're treating it like they're, they're celebrities and we're watching a show. And that's the kind of thing we need to break in our politics, where we really start to think differently about the role of the voter and the role of the citizen on a day-to-day -day basis, what we call 365-day democracy, mm -hmm. not one, once every five years for five minutes. That can't be the extent of it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that's going to bring voters back. But again, the onus there lies with the political parties and the politicians. You know... Um, Especially when people are talking about, I want to be president of the country. I want to, you know, we want to win. All of that. This, this is not a contest. It's not a beauty contest. What it is is a governance strategy. And that governance strategy either includes voters in a substantive way or uses voters. And voters are done being used. Yeah. 
011-883-0702. I actually want to pick up from this point Tessa is making and ask you, are you involved with a political party? And I'm not talking here, you know, when you attend their manifesto launch or it's time to vote. Like, are you a card-carrying member of any political party? And what has informed that decision? And if you are someone who is sitting from outside and observing the politics as an outsider and your only participation only comes when you, you have to vote, what, what makes you feel you don't belong or you don't want to be part of that organization um, in the communities and be a, a, a so, the so-called card-carrying member? Please let us know on the WhatsApp line as well on 072-702-1702. I want to take some calls now. Can I request that you guys put on your headphones some uh, calls and WhatsApps? Let's start with Koketo, who's calling us from Mahalisbek. Koketo, good morning. Yes, morning, Clement, and morning to your guests. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, so you've got two people there that I highly respect. Um, Terry Tulani actually assisted, assisted our CPA with elections last, um, in 2022. So mm. uh, those two people there, and then Tessa Dunes, I also respect her opinion as well, you know. Mm. But I just wanted to just make observations about uh, particularly voter apathy within the rural areas. So... For instance, you know, in our rural area, uh, in a new typical election cycle, whether it be local or national elections, we get about a 20% turnout rate. So I just wanted to ask, um, and the ANC is the government, is the ruling party here by us. So I just wanted to ask that if your turnout rate is low, uh, does it actually affect the legitimacy of that election? So, for instance, my, my question is more of a, of a, I'd say, like a, a um, you know, one that's like theoretical to say, you know, Democracy is is, is, is is sort of premised on the fact that people turn out in their numbers to support the leaders, okay, that mm-hmm. are elected. So my question is that if people don't turn out and then a leader gets elected, uh, low voter apathy, can we then say it affects the legitimacy of election? Mm-hmm. So yeah. within that community, you don't know what I mean. So for instance, if you have a low turnout rate in the Northwest where there are six million people that reside there, but only one million of them turn out. Mm. And people still get elected. The democratic processes go accordingly. But a majority of the people haven't turned out. Can we then still say that that election holds some form of legitimacy? Mm-hmm. Got you. Uh, Koketo, thank you so much for, for, for the question. Uh, do you want to start, maybe, Mr. Tilani? Of course, as I indicated earlier on, uh, low voter turnout does affect the legitimacy of the elections. But I think it is important to indicate that uh, legitimacy of the elections and uh, whether the elections, um, the, the outcome of the results of the election uh, should be accepted or not, it's, are two different things. Um, so in terms of the law, um, no matter how many people um, vote in a particular area, mm. uh, that election, um, the results must be announced and then it will still be regarded as uh, the legitimate outcome of the results of an election in a particular area. But it does not mean that the person or the individuals who have been elected uh, would be enjoying the support of the people, or the majority of the people who are supposed to be eligible to participate in the process. You know, so that's where the difference is. Um, I remember many years ago uh, during uh, the uh, the uh, protests in in in, um, in Caltenville, mm-hmm. um, where we had in certain instances uh, only six people voting in a particular voting. In fact, there was a what? There is a what that uh, had 
only uh, six people uh, sure. voting uh, because there was a protest in that area. Now, uh, by that time, I was still a commissioner. And the question that uh, we had to deal with was whether to announce those results of the election. But we had to go back to the Constitution to say, what does the Constitution say? Mm. The Constitution gives the commission three main responsibilities. Uh, one, which is to organize and manage the elections. Uh, two, to ensure that those elections are free and fair. And then three, to uh, announce the outcome of the results of an election. So mm. if we had not announced the results of those elections, we would have failed in terms of our constitutional mm. Mm. Uh, duty. So the results of the election, no matter how many people vote, still have to be announced and a winner uh, still has to be announced. Mm. But it does not mean that the person who occupies the position enjoys the legitimacy mm. of the majority of the people in that area. Mm. Um, and that's a really important point, right? Um, I've often actually said that this validates that in real time. Mm. We have 40 million eligible voters. Only 26 million are registered. In the 2021 election, only 12 million showed up. But even if only five people showed up that day, those five people would constitute 100% of the voter turnout. Mm. And if those five people all voted for the same party, that party would win by 100%. Mm. That means 100% of that vote would constitute who governs all of us. And the decision was made by how many people? That, the, exactly. that few number. Elections are only decided by the voters who show up. Mm. And so, yes, you can decide not to show up. That is your right to, show, to, to do that. But you must know that you are forfeiting the responsibility and um, the choice to the people who do show up. Mm. Now, I, I disagree with Ndati Zalani on one point. Mm. I do think it, it actually benefits political parties when we don't show up, especially the parties we don't want. Because if we don't show up, they will make sure they show up. Remember, political parties are also voters. Yeah. So if all five of the people who showed up in that yeah. election were six... And they go to their base yeah, to get them uh, to come. Uh, also. The councillor was elected and yeah. his five friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he and needs. And his family. So politicians only need themselves to show up yeah. and the people who they know are guaranteed to vote for them. And then they can claim 80% of people voted for us. And there'll be nothing you can do about it legally. So you're making a political statement, but it's a hollow one, right? Mm. Um, in other countries in the world, it's possible, for example, to spoil your ballot and for that to be a political statement. In our context, it isn't. I can tell you as somebody who's obser observed elections, in our context, a spoiled ballot where you wrote, I hate the system or I hate the parties, is treated the same like somebody who put the X outside the box. It's just discarded. It's not treated as a political statement. And if you don't show up at all, you don't make up part of the percentage that they count. So they will say the ANC got 57% in 2019. That's 57% of the 16 million people who showed up, mm. not of the 40 million people who could have shown up. And so um, at, at the Ravonia Circle, we've been talking a lot with civil society organizations, and we've started a campaign called Activate the 28. And so in the next few months, as civil society, we're going to be on the side of the voter to activate the 14 million people who have not registered, and the 14 million people who've registered and haven't shown up in the last election, because if that 28 million showed up, the 10% that the largest party got, uh, got in 2029 mm. would be tripled. Mm. You know, we have to think about the numbers. The numbers matter in an election, and you might feel like you're one voter, but actually uh, voting is a group assignment. It is the largest group assignment we all do, and I think it's also time that as voters we take responsibility for forming groups of people that we actually vote with. Yeah. Uh, let me ask this, and, and I'll go to the calls after the latest in Eyewitness News headlines. Tebe and Zueli 
Um, I see you guys. I'll start with your calls um, after the headlines. Is there a lack of voter education in this country, Tessa? Um, I mean, because the way you're explaining these things, I, I, I bet you there's so many people out there who are listening and thinking, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. And whose responsibility is it to ensure that there is an, that understanding of our electoral system um, and people understand what their choices actually mean for our democracy? So I can explain more about the mm. IEC's mandate around this because yeah. they do have part of the mandate is voter education. But I think that they also interpret that mandate a bit narrowly about voter education being about the process. You know, how do you register? Where mm. do you register? Where do you go and vote? All of that. And those technicalities are important because you need to make sure that it's accessible to people. But I think the kind of thing we need is what we at Ravoni Circle call voter conversations, where we start talking about what are the real political implications of our vote. How does voting work in the eyes of the political party? How does it work if we as a ward decide, we're all going to decide to, to discuss with each other how we as a ward will vote? Because it takes, it takes between 40,000 and 50,000 votes to secure a seat in parliament. If I say to a political party, I represent one vote, they may listen to me. If we as a community say we represent 10 votes, mm. they're much more likely to listen. If we as three wards realize we represent 50,000 votes, then we're sitting there with one seat in parliament that a political party can definitely come and fetch. Mm. So I think we need to start thinking about you know, what are the political implications of the way in which we're voting and do voter conversations where before we talk to the politicians, let's talk to each other, let's talk to civil society, let's talk to the IEC, and let's start making more concerted effort to understand what we're doing politically and not just treat voting as an individual exercise. Yeah, and, and from the part of the IEC, um, Mr. Tzilani, as someone who's, who's, who's been there, what mandate, what role was there for you when, when it comes to voter education and how seriously was that taken? Well, um, I come from uh, this uh, school of thought that says that uh, uh, electoral process is a joint responsibility. It's a joint responsibility between uh, the electoral commission, political parties, civil society, the media. Everybody has got the responsibility to motivate people to participate in the electoral process. Of course, the Electoral Commission has got an important role to play in that process. But when the budget of the Commission is cut, uh, the Commission will obviously compromise the issue of voter education and focus more on logistics uh, of the elections and hope that other parties, uh, including media, political parties, and civil society, will play that role. But there is an important question also that has been raised uh, which is what uh, Tess was talking about. Um, when we're talking about voter education, what are you really talking about? Are you giving people uh, the capacity to be able to make a decision uh, in the electoral processes? Are you, or are you just trying to show them uh, where to put an X in a ballot paper? Uh, because if I come and I say to people that uh, when I come in, I'm going to be giving you uh, uh, meet every evening. Every family will get meet every evening. Uh, as a voter sitting and listening to this, uh, can I be able to discern whether this thing is practical or not practical? Can I be able to listen to uh, manifestos of political parties and be able to make a decision uh, based on what they are telling me? Or 
if a political party says that uh, the social grants are going to be uh, removed if I'm no longer there in power, mm-hmm. or if I come into power, you'll get more social grants. Um, what does it mean for a vote? So vote education should not only be dealing with the issue of putting an X, but being able to capacitate individuals to be able to make decisions based on messaging mm. uh, that is coming from the political parties. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, honest messaging now and the honest conversations around vote education are coming from civil society organizations. The Ravonia Circle and Bali... Also started organization. The Groundwork political collective. parties are not doing that kind of work of, of having conversations. All right, um, we'll go to the calls and WhatsApps after the latest in Eyewitness News. The Dialogue with Clement Maniatela. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 702. 23 before 12 o'clock, we've got Tessa Dooms and Teritzelani in studio this uh, morning. And we've been discussing to vote or not to vote and what the impact of abstaining from voting is but also a conversation about voter education if you are one of those people who have decided they will not participate in the elections this year i'd like to know why you've decided so if you've decided you don't want to be a member of a political party a cut-carrying member uh, please share your reasons um why not so you're calling us from orlando east in soweto what are your thoughts good morning Yes, good morning, morning, uh, Clement, uh, your guest and uh, 702 listeners. Sure. Yeah, my name is Zueli. Uh Look, firstly, I would like to concur with what your guests have alluded to. The issue that was raised by Tessa, that uh, mostly political parties tend to target their voting blocks in, and, and encourage them to go register and go and vote. That is true. I'm one of uh, a, of those card-carrying members of a political party. But we have taken a, a, a different route in trying to address this. And this is premised on the fact that if you look at the 2019 turnout, out of the 36 million eligible voters, only about 17 million turned out. And the ruling party, you know, the governing party, only attained 10 million voters. So that is less than 30% of the entire eligible voter population. So I, I don't think that is a true reflection of democracy. So what we have done, as Mr. Zolani had indicated, that voter education is a joint responsibility, is to ensure that we have VD captains that are knowledgeable on what they can inform the public about. That's firstly. And then secondly, we are targeting the youth because over 50% of, of the youth between 16 and 29 aren't registered to vote. Now, that is, that's a significant portion of the, of, of, of the voting population. Mm. So we are targeting the youth to ensure that they are registered to vote. Whether they vote for our own political party or not, that is immaterial. So we're going around uh, in high schools, uh, uh, tertiary institutions yeah. to ensure that we register those youth, whether we do it online or we just encourage yeah. them to go to their nearest voting mm. station. Well, and which, part are you, which part are you working with again, Zoli? The, the party I'm working with is Action SA. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So what, what we intend to do is towards the, the election time, mm. we will call these people, encourage them to go and vote. Okay. And this is not just done to ensure that uh, Action SA gets a high number of voters, but to ensure that 
those who go to parliament represent the true interest of the people on the ground. Got it. Zoli, in Orlando, East in Soweto, thank you for the call. Tebe in the Val, good morning. You're speaking to Mr. You're speaking to Mr. Masuba. I hope you can hear me. Yes, yes, go ahead. Thank you, thank you so much. Yes. And greeting to everyone. Uh, you know, uh, when one observes uh, the extent to which, I mean, people have become so apathetic, I mean, to voting, you know, personally, I mean, you know, what I've been taught is that, I mean, democracy is, I mean, is, is, is a total, I mean, dictatorship. And no wonder, you know, during the times of the struggle, because I, I, I originally, I mean, come from a township in Pretoria called Atridgeville. Mm. You know, for instance, I mean, during the riots of the year 1976, I mean, we used to say, I mean, when we were striking, I mean, throwing stones and petrol bombs, I mean, we used to say we're fighting to have freedom and not democracy. And there has never been a single individual that said, I mean, we were, strike, we were striving or fighting, I mean, to have democracy. But it was specifically freedom. In other words, I'm simply trying to draw a distinction that says democracy and the word democracy and the word freedom are two words that can never, ever be used, I mean, in one sentence because they are the radical, I mean, opposite of each other. Now, we observe, I mean, on a daily basis, the complete antithesis of what the, the democratic ethos, I mean, pretends, I mean, to stand for. You know, things like, uh, you know, men and women are equal. Suddenly, now you also have, uh, you know, uh, rights, so-called rights, I mean, even inside your own house, where you, 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 you can't even execute or, or, or exercise, I mean, discipline, I mean, even, even inside your own house, because of the democratic, I mean, uh, dispensation, I mean, that says, uh, you know, you, 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 cannot discipline, you cannot exercise discipline, I mean, inside your own house. But let alone that, we are even being enforced to, to accept, you know, the notion that says, uh, like I said, I mean, men, men and women are, are, are equal. And the government, I mean, at the end of the day, decides, I mean, only sits back, I mean, to let, you know, the financial elite run the show, you know, uh, to the detriment, I mean, of, of, of all the citizens. I will cite, I mean, the example, I mean, of what I'm saying here, I mean, with uh, the, 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 the economies, I mean, of the country. The mere fact that, I mean, uh, we have uh, gold and silver as, as metals that are naturally produced, I mean, from the earth. And by the way, for me to mention that, one has to make reference, I mean, to the example of uh, the fact that, I mean, our currency, the rent, used to have, I mean, an, a, a disclaimer, if one may call it that way. That used to say, for instance, I promise to pay the bearer on demand okay. at the South African Reserve Bank to, to, to the tune of whatever, the denomination of the currency that you were having. Now, suddenly, that statement, I mean, it's no longer there. All right. Tebe, got you, man. Thank you for, for, for calling us, Tebe, uh, in the Val. The, the call we got from Zueli, uh, Tessa, who talks about the work that they're doing as, as actionists and how they're targeting the youth. Do you think that there's an, actually an understanding by young people that this is actually their election? Like, do you think they get it? Because, I mean, more than 60% of South Africans are what, below the age of 35 or so? Yeah. Like, do they realize that this is their election? No, young people don't realize they, this is their election. It's because they haven't done the math, right? 
Um, so the majority of voters in this country, the large majority of, this, of voters in this country are young people, are below the age of, of 35. Um, and young people need to understand if they formed a voting block of any kind, they could topple any government mm. legitimately tomorrow. Mm. There's nothing that's outside of young people. Young people need to organize themselves for this election. If there's any group of people that need to go into this election um, with organization, it's young people. I've been saying to, to young people, organize for this election like you would for a protest. Mm. Organize in numbers. Make sure you have a strategy. Make sure you have demands. And so when I say demands, um, somebody on Twitter was asking, how do we activate the 28 million people? Mm. Um, I think one of the first things we need to do in the first few months of this year as voters is decide what are the demands we have of political parties. So political parties are launching manifestos. Before they tell you what they're going to do for you, decide what it is you want. <laughs> then you can evaluate whether this party has what I want mm. and the, whether they're worthy of my vote. And you can demand from parties, change your manifesto to fit what it is I want if you want my vote. Mm. And if enough of us go into this um, election actively to mobilize and conscientize um, and go to the polls as if it were um, a protest. Imagine if we protested to the polls the way we do. There are 26 protests a day in this country on average. Mm. If we turn that energy into electoral change, we could actually do something very significant, especially among young people. Yeah. Let's go to some voice notes on 0727021702. Guys, my personal opinion about not voting is it's up to you. But if you don't vote, you cannot complain about the way the country is run or anything to do with government services for the next four years. Morning, morning, climate and the listeners and your guests there in the studio. Kuma from Yeovil here. Uh, with this topic, I really love this topic. I normally hear people... Uh, with this sentiment saying that um, if you don't vote, then you can't complain. But I don't think my single vote would ever do anything. Not like even if I vote for a different party, the one that I like, then the other one wins, then I don't have to abide by the rules of the majority party. So that's the reason why I don't see the importance of voting because of I don't think nothing in the history of voting has ever changed anything. You know, I'm 32 years old this year. I've never voted and I'm never going to see myself voting. That one I'm clear about. Cheers. Good morning, Clement. Um, a very interesting topic. And I will tell you why I'm not going to vote. Um, I'm very concerned about whatever that is happening in the country. And I'm not voting probably because I do not have any option uh, from the options that are there. Uh, I cannot vote for ANC because they are responsible for the mess that we are right now. And neither can I vote for the EFF because of their stand with the immigration policy. I cannot vote for the Moonshot Pact, which is Action SA, DA and others like kind of parties because of their stand with the issue of Palestine. <sighs> Reflections? Yeah, I wanted to go back to that freedom democracy thing quickly yeah. um, and just say this. Democracy only means the people shall govern themselves. If we don't like the way we're being governed, we need to take democracy and rethink it. Mm. It's time for us to innovate our democracy. And if we don't like the institutions we have, we can change the institutions we have. But we're going to have to do the work. We have the freedom to govern ourselves. We have a freedom to be democratic, but we have to do the work to create the kind of society. 
Um, I don't think that we, we think enough about what kind of society we want to be, live in. And so we feel trapped and we shouldn't, right? But on, on the question of people who are saying, you know, um, if you don't vote, you, you can't complain. There are many ways to, to participate in our democracy. Voting is one of them, but you absolutely can complain. But if you think about it, this is a form of participation that registers complaint as well, that registers the way you think, uh, the way you want to do it. We do not have a shortage of political options in this country. Absolutely not. There are over 325 parties that were participants in the last, the 2021 election. On the ballot in 2019, the national ballot was 48 parties. When you say it's either the DA or the, it's not only 10 options we have. Go and investigate the options. And there are multiple options. And I know people's frustration is that, you know, how do you go and find those options? That's why political parties must also do better. But the last thing I want to say about that in terms of where our options lie, I think the reason why we have this plethora of parties, over 300 parties, is because people are creating very community-based micro-parties, right? Not because if you're living in um, Buffelsfontein and you start a party there, you think that guy's going to be your president, no, because people want representation. And we have a multi-party system that allows, up, in the last, in this administration, we had 14 parties in parliament. Every one of those seats matter. Every one of those seats count. And the city of Johannesburg Council told us even a one-seat party mm. could take the whole thing. Oh, we've so we that. must not think that our single vote doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, Mr. Tselani, someone on the WhatsApp voice, also, voice notes also said they're 32 years old and they've never voted and they... They won't because they believe that a single vote won't do anything. Yeah, I don't agree with that view that says a single vote won't make a difference. And I think uh, what Tess has just uh, mentioned here, uh, if you look into uh, what, has actually, what has actually happened in the metros, uh, in Ekurleni and as well as in Johannesburg, uh, one seat uh, a party uh, is now in control of the municipality. Uh, so uh, are the electoral processes. So if you do not actually see that your vote can actually make a difference, there are many, many occasions when one vote would actually make a difference in terms of who actually comes in mm. and who does not come in. And it's even more relevant in a system that we refer to as first-past-the-post system or uh, winner-takes-all or where you have uh, got to win with uh, just, uh, you know, 50 plus one. You know, so a person cannot say that their vote will not actually make a difference. It will make a difference, uh, and it will actually indicate in terms of who actually gets in or who does not actually get, uh, get in, even in a proportional representative system. Mm. Um, because you take all the votes, you aggregate them, and each vote will make a difference in terms of which party or which individual mm. uh, will actually get into parliament. Yeah, Joe, in Pretoria, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Shop, shop, go ahead. Fine. You see, I think the fundamental problem is that there is not sufficient mass of independent people. That is people who, do not, who are not attached to any political party. This, for example, even if the, the ANC was running the country, the economy was growing by 50%, uh, unemployment was zero, and there was no crime. The majority of people who vote for the uh, FF will not vote for the ANC 
or other reasons. And at the same time, in the black community, irrespective of whatever the, is happening, people will vote for the, for, for, for the ANC. So you sit there with an independent mind and ask yourself, I'm participating in a, in, in a very irrational system. I usually, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm awaiting the, the result because, for example, in Kanduli over the Christmas season, they, did, they didn't have electricity from just before Christmas for the whole time. I'm, in my mind, I'm wondering, okay, when we go and vote, you'll be surprised if you find that the majority of people in Kanduli mm. voted for the ANC. Now, why do you participate in a, in a system that works that way? It's illogical. Because the basis of, of democracy is, 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 is on the fact that you are, you are ready to change your mind or you assess as a rational being that for me, this country to work or for the economy to work, mm. this is the person who can do it. And then you change your mind. But if you are, say, irrespective of whatever, I'm going to vote for party X, Y, and Z, mm. then, then what, what's the story? Yeah. Well, Joe, thank, thank you in Pretoria. What, what makes people do that, um, uh, Tessa, where when they see that there's lack of service delivery or there's big failures um, in what they need as a community, but they still go and vote for that organization? And of course... Any party is very clever, right? Ahead of elections, this is silly season. Whatever you've been struggling with is going to be fixed. Well, if you have the incumbency to do so. Yes. Right? yes. <laughs> and you're smart enough to do so. Exactly. But, so you know, so what, what leads people there? And then the second question is around independent candidates. Because he says, we don't have enough. Don't we have enough now? I mean, Bossa has a few. Do, do you think that's still not sufficient? Well, Bossa doesn't have any because they're all part of a party now. So now they've formed a party. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but I'll address why um, people are going that route, forming parties as opposed to being independent. Um, but the first thing about why people vote for parties that have failed them, because the only thing that our South African voters are more afraid of than failing parties mm. is not knowing what the next party is going to do. We have a big fear of, number one, you know, if, if a party like the ANC that has had dominance in the system for so long loses elections, we don't know what happens after that. Mm. We really haven't imagined a world beyond the ANC's dominance in the system. Mm. And so there's a fear that comes with that. So people will say, and that's also why people abstain. A lot of, especially traditional ANC voters, are abstaining because the fear of giving your vote to somebody else who might do worse or who you don't have any influence over is very real. But they've told us, is it because as, as communities we don't believe what, like in their manifestos, in, in their electioneering? Because it's not manifestos, it's not electioneering, and it's not rallies. Mm. It's trust. Mm. People need to build trust with politicians, or politicians need to build trust with, with people. Mm. If you don't build trust with people and they don't realize, okay, they can, number one, count on you to, to listen to them, and number two, count on you to listen to them after you have power. Mm. They won't give you that power. Mm. So um, I think what, what, one of the things that opposition parties have done really poorly, and people have told them this time and time again, is focused all of their electoral efforts on the failures of the ANC mm. rather than on this is what, number one, I promised to do, mm. this is what I have done, and this is what you can do to me if I don't deliver.
Mm. Where's the accountability mm. bit, right? Mm. And that leads into the question of independent candidates and the, the small parties. The reason why we have more uh, demand for that is my father said to me, my father's 82 this year. My father said he didn't vote in 2021 because he doesn't know those people. He doesn't know any of these people. Mm. And so people want to locate the person that represents them. Right now, because we have a closed list, list system, especially still at national and provincial level, yeah. we don't know our MPs. If I ask you to name 10 MPs who are not either party leaders or ministers, can you do that? Mm. No. We don't know who we're voting for, and I think that's causing a deficit in trust. Yeah. Well, guys, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, Teritzelani and Tessa Dooms, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.